This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything where we are joined by Ali McGregor. Ali has worked as a qualified teacher for over 15 years. 12 of those have been spent working with young people with SEN. Over the last 11 years, Ali has worked for a private educational provider in a number of roles, including classroom teacher, head of PE, deputy head teacher, and head teacher. Ali has supported the setup of a number of independent additional needs schools over the past seven years, with one of them being named the Test School of the Year. Ali has recently led a school to a very successful Ofsted inspection in March 2018, and they were graded outstanding in all areas. Ali has also played in two Commonwealth Games and one Olympic Games as a hockey player, which we're going to hear more about in a moment. So let's get him on the show. How you doing, Ali? Welcome to a wee bit of Everton podcast. How's your day been? Yeah, it's been good, thanks. Yeah, all good. Uh, looking forward to chatting to you guys tonight and seeing uh, see where that takes us. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to, to say about, um, about your experience in education and sport and um, also getting to know a wee bit about the Commonwealth Games that you, were, that you took part in as a, as a hockey player and uh, the Olympic Games, so I'm looking forward to chatting. Um, just before we get into that side of it, um, would you be able to give us and the listeners a little background information on your career? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so my background's PE, which uh, people will be glad to hear. So yeah, PE, PE teacher trained, um, you know, loved teaching PE, but quite quickly found that uh, I really enjoyed working with the kids with behaviour challenges or the, the naughty kids that everybody gets deemed or the kids that get put down to the PE department that, that people get on well with. So I found myself quite quickly moving into the, the realms of sort of behaviour and SEN. So quite quickly moved through through the ranks, um, really in, in promoted posts. You know, I was a head of PE at a special school down in England um, and then became sort of deputy head and, and now I've been head teacher for probably the best part of about eight or nine years. Um, and I've been really lucky to actually be able to set schools up. So that's what we do is we set up set up schools from scratch. We find the buildings. Um, we, we get the rest of the Ofsted, we recruit all the staff and we kind of put in our vision and our philosophy into that. So um, this week we're just, uh, we're just a way to start planning number five, which is, which is really exciting. Oh, brilliant. So is that just private then? That's nothing to do with yeah, the yeah, authority? Yeah, down here it is. Yeah, when I first moved down, I've, I've been down in England about 15 years now and, and fighting hard to keep up my accent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's local authority special schools down here, but then also private private enterprises really. So um, we used to work for, for one of the big companies down here and we just found that we were, we were setting up schools and doing a lot of work for these private companies, but we were kind of losing a bit more control of what we wanted to do and what we were really you know, what, what we held strong to our beliefs. So, um, you know, it's, it's actually one of my close colleagues is a PE teacher as well. So we found that our, our sort of approach from a PE teacher background is, is what works well with the, the type of kids we're working with now. Um, you know, wide range of special needs, but it's now more uh, autism. 
is the base we're working in now. So uh, that's that's kind of where we've we've led to today. Right, and then see when you're saying there about kind of getting your vision across, but just say like kind of creating a culture in your school takes you know takes time. Well, once you, once yeah, you get absolutely. And I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think we've been really lucky in the schools we've we've launched as we can we can set that culture. You know, and the only people responsible for the culture are us because we're the first people mm-hmm. in the door. Yeah. If the culture's wrong, it, it's down to us. Um, yeah. But what's been nice is we've actually been able to change the culture and have different sort of visions and cultures for different schools, really. But it all comes down to those sort of standards. And I think sort of being a a sports person's background is, you know, it's like yourself, is you have certain standards you hold for yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you want to make sure you can communicate them through to other people you work with. Um, and it's just like building a team, you know, and that's like why where PE teachers I find nowadays are, are getting more and more promoted posts. When I was at university, we used to have this guy that they sort of wheeled in, this guy, Don Leddingham, who was like the only head teacher in Scotland that was a, that was a PE background. But nowadays, I know, you know, five or six guys that I went to uni with are all head teachers in, in different parts of Scotland. And that's great. And I think that's not a surprise. That's just how education is changing. And you need people from a sports background who understand teams, understand how to manage people, mm-hmm. um, which is great for PE teachers if, if they want to go down that route. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think they've got that kind of organisation, don't they? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think they see the bigger picture. You know, I've worked with some really great leaders, but, you know, some leaders who have been, you know, maybe different backgrounds to PE and they just don't quite see that team ethic or they're sort of, they do things for themselves. Certainly heads of the department that I've worked with that do things themselves a little bit and don't see that, you know, as I say, that, that team that team philosophy, that team culture, and actually, if we all do our job and all succeed, we all benefit sort of thing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that secondary school age? Is yeah, it so it's secondary school. Yeah, we've, we've registered schools from sort of 7 through to 19. It's a slightly different system down in England. Um, but yeah, we, we, we registered at the moment for 11, 2 to 19. But because of some of their, their SEN needs, is some of the kids operate at ages a lot lower than what they should be sort of chronologically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that, that's sort of works. Yeah, it works well, really. So is it just that, is it the same kind of group, is it colleagues or is it just like this, uh, people from different schools that you kind of set the, these these other schools up with? Is it the same kind of core group of people? Nah, yeah, so there's, yeah, there's four of us now. Um, there's four of us now that sort of have set, basically gone away and set up set up our own company. We do it ah, independently. Right, there's, there's four of us that are directors and the thing that we like is that we're the four that make the decision. Whereas mm. before we were working for some really big companies, um, you know, it's like working in a big, a big secondary school. You can't make, get into to make a decision. And when you make yeah. a decision, you're then told off for it, you know? So it's, yeah. and, we, and we really enjoyed doing that. And we weren't a lot from that, but we just found actually the way we wanted to go with it um, was a little bit different from, from what the other companies wanted to do. So yeah, now there's four of us that are involved in it. And, you know, within that, we've probably got over a hundred years experience in either education or, um, you know, social care background because we, we actually mm-hmm. own and run um, children's homes as well. So we have children's homes which are linked to the schools as well. We also have independent schools and we're just trying to grow that that footprint pretty much where we are down in Derbyshire. That's interesting. Yeah, so kind of moving into the teaching and learning side, obviously your experience over the years. Um, have you seen any kind of low effort but, but high impact? That, um, this actually came up in one of our previous episodes recently. Um, we're, we're discussing low effort and high impact teaching strategies. Yeah. Uh, have you found any kind of over the years that have been really successful? I think, think the things that PE teachers do naturally well is, is like problem solving stuff. So I think if you give problem solving a challenge, there's a really simple challenge, but any sort of challenge that has sort of multiple outcomes is what, what you want to do. And, and that's what we've done a lot of. And we, we basically, you know, you'll have heard it's like divergent thinking. Give them yep. a problem. So, for instance, how do you get across the gym hall with, you know, three mats or something and let them actually problem solve. So the more problem solving stuff we've done, or I've found that works really well is actually it makes them better when it comes to applying that to a game situation sort of thing. So yep. 
Um, that, that's the sort of stuff we do. Challenges. Kids love a challenge. You know, you show me a kid that doesn't enjoy a challenge. Mm. Um, and as long as it's sort of framed in a way that they understand or they get, um, and then just, you know, look at the sort of different ways they come up with. You know, you'll have a challenge in your head and you'll think, actually, I'd do it this way. You watch kids and they do it like five or six different ways. And you think, yeah, well, yeah. you know, it's quite amazing that I think we actually benefit from our teaching by that as well. Um, yeah. And a lot of the kids I work with at the moment is they've basically been in mainstream and mainstream's not worked for them, so they've come out. Um, and we actually chat to the kids and we basically say, look, I'm not going to teach you how I want to teach. I need to teach you how you want to learn. Mm -hmm. The kid sort of goes, what do you mean? So we basically say, right, tell, you know, give them a problem, say, right, how would you understand this problem? They then tell us. And so then it actually changes our teaching. So it's sort of response, yeah. you know, reactive teaching, but it's great. And it actually helps the kids know that, you know, they don't have to learn just the way I'm going to teach them the whole time. You know, we work in really small class sizes and we can do that, you know, yeah. try to do that in a mainstream secondary PE class with, you know, 25, 26 yeah. kids. That's tough. That is really tough. Um, yeah, but yeah, suppose, sort of the problem solving stuff's the way I'd, I'd try and approach things. Yeah, suppose if you, if you just teach the, you know, the one way, then you're just limiting them to kind of the way that you're doing it, rather than, as you said, kind of giving them different problems and there's different outcomes. I quite like that idea. Yeah. It's quite yeah. similar to what um, we had, a, I guess, on before. Is it Johnny Penman? Is that the, the guy, the yeah. PhD specialist? The That's it. Yeah, yeah, he, he kind of came up with his own kind of version of the... It's like a problem-solving curriculum for PE, and obviously in Scotland we teach like all the different significant aspects of learning, which is kind of broke down into four. But I'm sure you'll be familiar with it, where you're looking at like all the kind of softer skills, like communication, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And um, he like so at the start of like an invasion games block, he'll put like a, a tactical problem or something for the pupils. This is what we're going to be working on. What do you think we need? Like, so there's a board with all those different skills and qualities on it. What do you think we need to be able to solve this problem? And then the pupils can like decide on that, and it's kind of giving them their their say in it. And what's obviously meeting their needs essentially, which is which I thought was quite quite a fascinating approach as well. Yeah, like how much is that like a mindset shift then for for colleagues? Would you say like in terms of like kind of being more brave with your teaching I yeah i think it is i think it is and that's probably some stuff we'll talk about later it's actually being brave and you know it's like mm -hmm. taking those calculated risks and i think that's where PE teachers i think do that better than you know like your, your math teacher english teacher and that's not being detrimental to them i just think the environment that we, that we teach in mm -hmm. um you can do that and i think that's where my PE backgrounds really help me and i teach maths and stuff now and teach all weird and wonderful stuff but i've found that i have quite a practical approach to my maths teaching when i'm teaching because i can take those risks from you know the sporting backgrounds really um, yeah. And I think it's like anything else, you know, as, as young teachers, you, you want to sort of try and experiment, but sometimes I think some departments or some schools when you're on teaching placement or you're a, a new teacher, you can take these risks. Sometimes mm -hmm. you try something and you get hammered for it, you know, and I yeah, think that's I where heads of department have a lot of responsibility to try and really encourage that because, you know, as Lewis was saying, you want to try and give these kids the broadest experience possible and then find out what works, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think, it is, especially in PE as well, though, I think like the... Can it, I don't know if it's maybe maybe another right word to say like a stigma attached to like letting the kids do I, I don't know maybe like experiment with like a different like approach to your teaching it can look it can look almost like chaotic in PE yeah. and then for someone observing that it might look like the class are the class is an absolute riot but in actual fact it's not really it's just the kind of nature of our subject and Absolutely. people yeah, think yeah. sorry can you go? We used to do a lot of stuff teaching games for understanding you know, so teaching through a game you try and tell people you're teaching through a game and most people you speak to won't get it, will they? You know, you're yeah. putting limitations or restrictions on a game and they just won't get it. They'll just say, oh, you're, mm -hmm. just, you're just playing the game. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one thing where, you know, that's where you can take that, that risk a bit more of But yeah, it is that stigma. I totally agree with that. And that's really difficult down here is, and certainly going through even my early years teaching was, you know, 
people just thought, oh, well, the, you know, the naughty kids, the baby kids, they'll go to pee and they'll keep them entertained. It's like the stuff we were doing was actually trying to help them with their emotions, trying to help them actually function in a math class or an English class. You know, they didn't actually see the work you were putting in to try and help this kid stay in class for 20 minutes and do their lessons. They just thought yeah. we're coming down and playing my basketball and shooting some hoops, you know, and I think that is sometimes that link they don't see. Yeah, there's definitely that perception of PE. Um, but I, I think it comes down to the control as well, like, like kind of wanting to have that control over your class so you would do it your own way and, and maybe restrict it. Um, but you can, you can see kind of why that, why that would be the case. Um, so in, term, in terms of like um, initiatives in, in your school, like kind of whole school stuff, um, was there anything kind of up and running like in terms of kind of teaching and learning initiatives in the school? Yeah, so we do a lot of coaching down here. Um, I'm not sure if you guys do much coaching in your school. So yeah. we've launched a, a school-wide coaching program originally. So in England, we have half terms. So we have six half terms in a year. Yeah. And what we'll do in that, those half terms, we'll have a different focus each half term. So, you know, I'm sure we're all, all uh, you know, familiar with, uh, you know, having the head of the department come in and watch your lesson and tell you how rubbish you are or tell you what, what, how, how they would have taught or what they would have taught differently. So what we do is we basically make it completely non-hierarchical whereby you can actually invite somebody into your lesson to coach you. So for instance, it might be on uh, behavior management or use of resources. And we actually have certain sheets, your know, feedback sheets that we use, whereby, um, you know, the most junior member of staff could come in and teach the head teacher or coach the head teacher. Um, and it just opens up that teaching and learning discussion, which is really important. Um, and we find mm -hmm. that really useful in terms of, you know, you look at any department, any school, there's such a vast level of experience in a school, but how often do people think they have to go to an external course or buy somebody in who's got this magic thing? You think, actually, you look in your own department, there'll be such an amazing level of skill that you know, we're, we're, we're sort of missing a trick there. So that's one initiative we've used, and, and, and it's always worked really well for us because people feel no threat, but it really improves that, that teaching and learning as well. Yeah, again, it comes down to that culture. That you create that kind of openness within your, your lessons to invite people in. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. That's a great idea, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, so there'll just be a particular focus when they come in then to look look for kind of how they're giving feedback or behaviour. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, see, so we, we structure it so we have six six different sort of focus, you know, areas across the year, right. um, and we shift that each half term. So every sort of six weeks we shift. So it'll be things like uh, differentiation, behaviour management, um, yeah, teaching and learning, uh, questioning. You know, so we actually change it just so whereby somebody's coming in, they're not coming in completely blind. So I might say, you right, Clark. I want you to come in, I've got this lesson, could you come in and just do a bit of coaching session on me? My focus is going to be on differentiation. So you come in knowing that actually that's all you're looking at. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. so it's how you set that culture up and you want to be open and honest and honest feedback and it's not, you know, telling people they've not done right. It just opens up that we've then got two people talking about a problem that maybe happened in a class that we can solve. Um, I just think it's a really good way of, of upskilling, upskilling your team. Um, yeah, on that, you know, from from a teaching assistant right the way through to you know somebody that's head of maths or the deputy head, you know, there's no there's nobody who can't coach somebody else. I know because me and Lewis were saying the other day, like I don't feel as if we talk about teaching enough within within my school. But um, the amount of stuff I learn, like just on the phone to Lewis and the way home from the home from work about how yeah how how, how, how not to do things. How you <laughs> How's days been? It's but but it's generally kind of those informal conversations. That you yeah, they up, help a lot. They they definitely. Do yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and that's the thing. We, we, we used to do like sort of a teaching and learning breakfast down here, whereby actually you know, you'd, you'd put on like a tray of sort of, you know, croissants and stuff like that, but just get people in talking about certain things about teaching and learning, you know, mm -hmm. and then suddenly doing debriefs and stuff. And it seems pretty obvious, but you think actually, unless we actually encourage people to talk about teaching and learning, they're probably not going to, are they? Mm -hmm. um, no, exactly. Invested interest in it. Um, and yeah. it sometimes is, you know, it does feel a little bit closed shop sometimes, doesn't it? You think, you know, you'll mm -hmm. have schools just down the road from you whereby you know there's some fantastic stuff going on. 
but sometimes it's actually can you make those links or unless you know somebody in the school are you actually be able to tap into some of the mm. new stuff they're doing it's um it's it is just got to be looked at isn't it how it can be developed further and have you see with your um where you invite obviously the, the coaching sessions that you do have you ever had like a like a an NQT or a junior teacher go in and observe like a, a really high is that like does that happen quite a lot like yeah absolutely yeah and you know, I, I still teach, even though I'm sort of head teacher, and I, I encourage people to come and watch me teach. And we uh -huh. set up some lessons whereby you'll almost intentionally do certain things to see if they pick up on it. But absolutely. Uh -huh. And I think that should be encouraged more whereby, you know, students on placement or NQT teachers come in and actually watch more senior teachers. Because mm -hmm. that's how we're going to get better, isn't it? You know, yeah, I remember definitely. when I was on placement watching some of the really good teachers are being, you know, almost asking the head of PE, right, who are the best teachers in the school? Can I go and mm -hmm. watch them teach biology? Or can I go and teach it? And just to control the class and the ideas and the communication, you pick up so much from that because, mm -hmm. you know, our environment's different. We, we teach in a gym hall and stuff, but you think actually how much of your course was actually about how you taught standing in front of a whiteboard, yeah. you know, or using an active whiteboard. We, we just, we just didn't really do that, you know, and mm -hmm. it's, these are skills I think you have to learn that, that you can pick up on when there's, when there's good people in your school. And as, as a head teacher then, what's it like receiving that sort of feedback then from like a, like a junior teacher coming through? Absolutely. You know, if I'm, yeah, my, my view is that if I'm a head teacher, I need to be teaching um, because how can I go into somebody else's lesson and, and feedback to their lesson when I don't teach myself? So I'll put myself up to so any lesson knobs we've done in the last probably 12 years, any lesson observation schedule I've been involved in, I'll put myself up first to be observed. Because uh -huh. then people can't see that I'm trying to prepare. But I'm absolutely open to that. You know, I, I want to improve my own teaching and learning. And I find actually some of the best sources of teaching and learning are your NQTs or your, your student teachers? Because they're sometimes, you know, exposed to some of the new stuff that's out there. And it's yeah. great. You mm -hmm. know, when they come in, it's, it's great. And it's to give them confidence as well. that actually, if teaching and learning is not what it should be, they should be able to challenge something in the lesson they've seen or they didn't understand. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm absolutely fine with that. You know, I want people yeah. to come in and I'd much rather sometimes, you know, I don't want people to come and tell me all the things that are good. I want them to come in and tell me where I could be even better or yeah. what I should have done differently or how could have fed back differently. And that's how mm -hmm. I'll get better as a teacher. And then that sort of cascades down to the other staff you work, you know? Uh -huh. so. I think it's always like when you're sitting at the side, you can always see those different things. Whereas when you're caught up in the moment, sometimes you're kind of yeah. blindsided to Thanks, but no, it's a, it's a great idea. I like it. Absolutely. Yeah, you learn so much just from observing. That was the same, yeah. like, on probation year. I went to watch a teacher in humanities who was really skilled and asked one of the deputies, kind of, who was the best, kind yeah. of, similar, similar to what you were saying there. And you just pick up things and how they manage a class, like, yeah. on, in a different environment. And it's the sort of yeah. thing you pick up by watching, isn't it? Nobody yeah. could teach it. Nobody could sit and tell you. Nobody could do a lecture on it. You can only actually pick that up by actually being in that environment, can't you? Yeah, definitely. I, as you say, you're kind of missing the trick if we don't tap into that because yeah. it's our biggest resources of people within well, the one, one, one thing they started doing down here, Clark, is some of the primary schools down here have started filming their teaching. So I don't know if right. they started doing that in Scotland yet. So they've basically invested hugely in these big, massive cameras in class whereby right. they're they're recording sound and video and actually teachers are then doing teaching and learning things on we've not done them yet but um you're actually filming their own teaching which is the sort of next level isn't it mm -hmm. that's good that's good yeah i know so see from a logistical point of view is it quite hard to set up the kind of program in terms of getting people when they're off off timetable to kind of yeah, it, can be, it, can, it can be but again i think that comes back to PE people you know people PE people are good at solving problems yeah you know, PE, i find PE staff are always the best logistics you know if i had a problem in school i'd definitely PE people because they just sort of see the bigger picture but yeah it can be but it's almost like starting small it's not as if you'd want to launch the whole thing straight away and mm -hmm. you know it might be a case of people listening might want to say actually you know what i want to try that in my department you know because P staff are brilliant at coaching so I actually go and coach each other about stuff um, mm -hmm. that, that's how you know we started it small we didn't just launch it first of all we started with a really small cohort of people 
And then we had, you know, by the time I left, we had 35, 40 staff at one of our schools, you know, actually involved in it every sort of, you know, five, six weeks. Um, and that's, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Hi, everyone. Well, can I move away from the, but still, still on the teaching and learning, but I'm just kind of touching on your kind of Commonwealth Games and, and Olympics experience, obviously with Scotland and the Commonwealth and, and Team GB in the Olympics, Ali. What skills and experience have you taken from that elite sporting environment into your job as an educator? Yeah, I think it's always an interesting one. I think we've you know, covered a few of them already. I think, you know, first of all, being a team sport, it's that teamwork. You know, you see that bigger picture. Um, you know, I've worked with, with people in PE who, who are maybe in, involved in elite sport but are individual sports, and they just have a completely different approach, which is it's not saying it's wrong. It's just a very different approach. They're maybe a bit more self-centred. Um, I think one of the key things that certainly helped me as I've got a bit older and, and through my career is, is probably that leadership. You know, I was lucky enough to, to captain GB as well. And I think um, I never saw myself as a leader. I went into the, the GB squad as a, you know, as a Scottish guy trying to break into the England system and, and try to get to Team GB. And it was actually the, the head coach came to me and said, look, I think you've got some really good leadership qualities that I maybe hadn't seen in myself at the age of mm-hmm. 25, 26. So I think that leadership stuff that comes through and you then start believing and you think, actually... If people see me as a leader, then you act like a leader, don't you? Yeah. Um, mm. And I think some of the other key things, certainly in, in, that I've, I've taken across the teaching, would be that sort of reflection. You know, so you guys are sportsmen yourself. You know, you have a good game, you maybe reflect on it, you think like, what went well? How do I get better? You have a bad game, and you don't maybe beat yourself up too much about that. And I'm sure we've all been there when we've, mm-hmm. you know, been greeting our beer after a game, or a football or hockey. <laughs> but it, it's important to get that balance. And and one of the big things I've taken out of that I've, I've actually continued and actually just finished a masters um, about a year and a half ago was was resilience. And I think that's the big topical thing nowadays. You know. So I went away and looked at resilience of, of senior leaders in special needs education down here. Um, and that's one big thing whereby, you know, we all have setbacks, but it's actually how do we, how do we cope with that? And, and there's a big phrase we, we use a lot. It's actually not bouncing back with resilience. It's actually bouncing forward. And oh. we talk about that a lot down here. Is, and I think that's a big thing from sport. You know, sport is pretty brutal. Um, certainly team sport, you know, you win or lose. It's, it's, it's pretty much as clear cut as that. Um, playing for Scotland, you probably lose more than you win. Um, and you are going to get a bit of a hiding off some of the bigger nations. Um, and I think you've got to cope with that because once that game's done, it's, it's that resilience to say, well, that's done. I've reflected on it, but actually I move on. And I think, I think teaching's about like that as well. You know, we've all had good lessons where we've thought we're the best teacher in the world. And then you get that, you know, third year class from hell and you go and you, you, know, you end up, you know, mm. you're in the staff room or you see a member of staff come up and say anything. Actually, it's, it's a bit of a level, isn't it? And it's, uh, uh, mm. it's, that, that's what it is. But yeah, that, that resilience is so important. And, how I learned a lot about resilience was, believe it or not, from the sporting background. You know, I worked with a sports psychologist down here and it was all about taking those lessons about resilience from sport and, and applying them to teaching. Mm-hmm. So how would you develop, develop that resilience? Is it just about kind of through experience? Through like bouncing I think forward, well, is it it's through experience, yeah. And we'll probably, you know, I think we'll, we'll talk about that you know, a bit later on. Some of the questions is actually it's that experience, but sometimes how do you get that experience? Mm-hmm. And that's always difficult sometimes. And, and certainly in Scotland, you know, I think they, they did away with a lot more of the promoted posts a number of years ago, you know, so it's probably a bit more streamlined in terms of the leadership positions. You know, in PE, you might get like a faculty head, you might get a deputy job. Whereas down in England, there's a lot more opportunity for those smaller promotions, if that makes sense. So there's yep. more chance for experience. Um, I think the resilience does come to that reflection. You know, something's gone well, you need to reflect on it, but still you need to reflect and think, actually, how can I make it as good as that next time? Or how could I actually make it a bit better? Mm-hmm. Um, and suddenly when things don't go well, it's not beating yourself up. But um, resilience, I think, is something that, you know, I asked a lot of staff when I was doing questionnaires is actually, you know, do people think they're born with resilience or is it something you can develop? 
And that's really quite an interesting one that, that people listen will have to ask themselves is, you know, am I naturally a resilient person or is that something I can build and develop on? Um, which is that sort of, you know, that's a bit of an open question, really. Do you think, do you think you're more resilient with things that you, you enjoy doing or, you know what I mean? Like, can you be resilient more in, in a certain area than versus yeah. another area or? I think you can because I think I think if it's something you if it's something you enjoy doing, I think you'll 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 probably more gladly find a solution to it, wouldn't you? I definitely. Yeah. If somebody came to you and said, right, I've got a, got a problem about your PE, you'd be like, brilliant PE, yeah, teams, mm -hmm. smash it. Somebody comes to you and says, oh, I've got a problem with a staff car park, and you'd be like, oh, magic, yeah, can't wait. <laughs> and that's what it is, isn't it? But again, it's almost a case of actually maybe not being turned off by it, but saying actually. The problem's a problem. I need to come up with a creative solution to it. And we've had some weird and wonderful creative solutions in our time, and you guys will have in your in your P careers already. But it's that, you know, I think that's where the sport and background sort of helps you be more resilient in terms of that, you know, that outward looking solutions really. Aye. Yeah, I it's think a growth mindset. Like a, it's a big thing up in Scotland and in, in schools as well. It was or it has been over the few the last few years. I studied my masters as well, uh, Ali, on growth yeah. mindset and it was about kind of developing resilience in, in the learners. And yeah. in, in the class, um, but not looking at it from a staff point of view. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's very you know very similar lines. We we looked at that around around actually senior leadership, and you're saying actually what's the, what's the impact on them with and growth mindset's massive down here. We do a lot, but we actually teach our kids about it. We talk. We actually teach our kids about you know mindfulness, and it's actually okay to take breaks, and it's okay not to be okay. But mm -hmm. I think that's still stuff that hopefully it's not just a flash in the pan stuff. It's actually here to stay because. Mm -hmm. That's really what's going to help our kids and help the staff really grow and develop, isn't it? It's that you know. I think resilience is so closely linked to mindset. It's it's mm -hmm. weird what to be, isn't it? It's almost like psycho the psychology and kind of what, what motivates um, yeah. you know, learners and try to work out um, creating an, envi an environment where they're they're motivated to be there. Absolutely. Um, but but it's, it's almost similar to the kind of the old manager cliche, like don't get too high with the highs and too low with the lows. That's like teaching, isn't it? That you kind of yeah, you need to try and stay, ba stay balanced, especially in your role. I'm yeah, sure. absolutely, absolutely. And I think it is, it's exactly that. It does. You know, I don't think it is cliched. I think it's just important that people remember that because you know you've mm -hmm. seen staff who think they're the best teacher in the world one day, and the next day they come in and they're you know they're greeting in the staff room because their kids told them where to go. It's that's the nature of it, isn't it? And I think that's how we're going to get better at you know because we talk a lot about our sort of benchmark. You know, what's our benchmark? What's our baseline of what we accept, and how do we build on that? Um, I think that's where teaching, I, I'm actually still involved in sort of elite coaching as well, you know, and, and I think that's where, you know, where we take that into it as well. So, and actually, I work with, with a lot of the up-and-coming junior goalkeepers in the country, um, and, and we talk about that a lot as, you know, as a goalkeeper, not being too high when you make a save, because next minute you might get nutmegged and you'll be right down there. So it's, it's mm. that level a little bit, isn't it? Definitely. And I think that comes in to being resilient as well, is trying to find that level. I suppose that is resilient, isn't it? Yeah, mm. massively. Kind of self-discipline, stop, stopping yourself getting carried away or try to pick yourself back up. Yeah, I think it's kind of putting the, the pupils in situations where they are going to experience those setbacks as well, though, as much as you want to, to make them, like you, you hear people speaking about making them, obviously giving them that flavour for success all the time to get them engaged and everything, but if you want to develop um, resilience, it's about really pushing them and trying to challenge them as best you can as well, so they, they experience those setbacks. Yeah, I, th I think at times people are too too protective. You know, I know down here at some of the primary schools is they have non-competitive sports days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and it's like, I'm like, I get that, I understand that, and there's I think there's better ways to do that. But there are kids that want to be involved in competitive sport at a young age. Uh huh. Well, so they just have non-competitive, and they don't even have a competitive one then. Yeah, no, like sort of non-competitive. Right. They almost do like things in teams and stuff, and I get it, and it's great, and I've seen them. But coming from a sort of PE sporting background, you think actually, you know, life's a competition. Yeah, that's not reflective of life, is it? Yeah, no. we can still competition. And these kids, or 
the kids that maybe would be more elite, then, then, then allow them to do that. But I think sometimes it's just trying, you know, it's a bit, I, I, I get it why they're doing it, and it's, it's that really inclusivity, but actually we need to be realistic and, and teach those kids the skills early on that they're going to develop as they go through. As you were saying, Clark, if we don't teach them that resilience of winning and losing at an early stage, what's going to happen when they, they come to the exams and they find it mm -hmm. a bit tough and they find out they failed it? It's, but also those, those, those pupils that are potentially maybe not so good at sport or whatever, they're, they excel in other subjects as well, which makes maybe the, the good sports people not feel as... Mm -hmm. incompetent when they're doing other subjects do you know what I mean so it's like, it kind of swings in roundabouts absolutely you know you look at that three of us are PE teachers it wasn't as if we were magic at physics or chemistry was it <laughs> yeah, you know maybe Clark was you know your strengths but I think yeah. it's actually those skills you, you bring through that isn't it you know yeah. that is really important yeah. but I think we need I, to as I was saying to you before I come on as I was saying to you before I come on it's music I like is it? <laughs> Clark, me and Clark were discussing the ins and outs of Newton's law before you come on. <laughs> Isaac Newton. Uh, what a man. Right, and Ali, what um, do you find the, the kind of most common myths or barriers as a PE teacher when working with children with additional support needs? And maybe any suggestions on how you can uh, overcome those challenges? Yeah, I think I think one of the biggest myths for me is is certainly kids that are diagnosed ADHD. You know, and how many. How many, how many you know, senior leaders have taken down to the P department and said, well, this kid's got ADHD, he just needs to be active. And it's uh -huh. just so wrong. You know, it's like, yeah, the kid needs to be active, but he's not a marathon runner. Uh -huh. You know, I think that's sometimes where we need to think about how we're really addressing some of these special needs early on. And that's one thing that I've found, you know, through PE, um, we did a lot about trying you know, try to really change behaviours. Um, you know, you'll be in PE classes where you think, actually, you know, there's kids that might be on the edge of some of the behaviour stuff. But... We used to actually take them and give them a lot of responsibility. I remember one of the time when I was teaching up in Aberdeen and, you know, one of the kids who was deemed to be one of the, you know, unteachable kids in school, he came into a PE session. The first thing I did was give him a javelin and he looked at me going out and he's like, no other member of staff would give me a javelin in this school. I was like, yeah, but I can trust you. And straight mm -hmm. away, he's like, you're probably the first member of staff who's ever trusted me with anything like this. It was just me and him in a field. He said he'd missed out on PE for three years doing the javelin because he was told he couldn't be trusted. Uh -huh. And that, that was a big thing saying, actually, you know, we don't know what we can trust these kids with unless we try it in a safer environment. And yeah. um, that's yeah. not saying that that kid went and, and did jabble the rest of his class, but he did, his, he did some of his PE stuff for me. But um, I just think sometimes we, we hear stuff in the news or we, we read certain things and people are too quick to jump to stereotypes about what kids can't do. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I've been amazed throughout the last 20 years working in SEN that the stuff that these kids can do, some of it is just unbelievable. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. I was saying we had um, we had a, a girl on the podcast who was talking about her school experiences and how she had a really tough time coming up through school and everything, and um, she said it was almost like the teachers would judge her, but like they would see her on their register, like once they yeah. get their new, their new classes, they would see that pupil on the register, and then that would be it. you'd have that judgment attached to that individual, and like you would you would subconsciously behave behave differently towards them or teach them differently or. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I think that's sometimes where you know one of my biggest issues in mainstream school was staff rooms. And I stopped going to my I stopped going to a staff room after my second year of teaching because I'd go in there and you'd have other staff just berating the kids that you'd worked really hard with. Mm -hmm. It was just like you know it became a, a slang match. And I'm not sure what it's like nowadays, but I'd actually just say, look, guys, you know what? I'm not up for this. And I'd actually go down and open the P department at break and lunchtime and get these kids they were talking about in there. Just to the point I could work with them. But mm. I think sometimes that's the sort of toxic nature of, of some staff rooms and not all, but you know, the number of staff I've come across that don't like kids. And you're just like, why are you working in a school as a teacher? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Because it is, it's crazy, isn't it? And I think mm -hmm. that's where, you know, I think P 
a lot of the PE staff I've worked with do it for the right reasons. It's actually, they, they really enjoy being with kids. Um, and they actually want to make a difference to these kids. And, and that's the thing that we've, we've found in PE and even through special schools, actually, you know, we can shape these kids' lives through PE. What I've found in, in SEN is actually you can change the kids' lives. You can mm -hmm. actually give them a bit of a brighter outlook in terms of what they're capable of doing because you can do that in smaller numbers. Mm -hmm. So see in terms of like behaviour issues in your school, like, and you know how they say, like, kind of wipe the slate clean the next day and go in with a kind of a different attitude? Yeah, yeah. Is that... Would you go, go along with that? Um, so, so the school I'm working in now is very different. Schools are very different. But previous schools I've worked in is, you know, we need to make sure that these kids are responsible for their behaviours. And, and the thresholds that you'd have in mainstream school might be different from the schools we're in because the kids were there because of their behaviour challenges, which has now become, you know, social, emotional, and mental health issues. But, you know, it's making sure that the kid reflects, understands those behaviours. You know, we're not saying that we didn't exclude kids because we did. Because if some of their behaviours are so extreme or they were so violent to staff or kids that there had to be sanctions in place. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you want the kids to actually have a fresh start and try and deal with that one day to give them a chance the next day. Yeah. How many times have you been, a, been in a school whereby a kid comes in on Monday as a dodgy start? They never recover the whole week, do they? You know, you've got mm -hmm. to give them that chance to, to mm -hmm. try and recover or give them that support to understand actually that was wrong for these reasons. Because, um, you know, in mainstream school, you know, sometimes kids get excluded and you ask them why, and they're like, I don't really know. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. They'll never worry, so they'll keep doing the same thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Or, I need to make them aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. Or certainly kids with additional needs. You know, I, you know, a lot of our kids that I work with now have been in mainstream school, but they've been getting, you know, because of their autism or their, their organisational skills, they get detentions because that's how their autism presents. And they don't know it's because they're not organised because they can't be because of their autism. You know, so it's, it's just a vicious cycle sometimes. And, you know, and that's not saying that mainstream schools do a good job. They do a fantastic job. But you put some of the kids in a class of 25, 26 with additional needs without support, that's an impossible job for any teacher, no matter how skilled they are. Mm -hmm. you know, that's, mm -hmm. such and that's, a, that's such a common thing, though, isn't it? Like in schools, though, like massively. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even where we are down here, you know, we actually say it's the lucky kids that get, you know, what they have down here. Uh, it's called an, an educational healthcare plan. So it's basically a bit of official paperwork saying they've got a diagnosis, this is the support they need. And that's just a lottery, you know, mm -hmm. and it's the lucky kids that get it. And I know loads of kids in mainstream schools that I've seen that actually don't get that support and, and get a bit of a rougher deal. Um, yeah. It's just a real shame. Yeah, I think I think it's the most undertrained part of your job, though. We had a behaviour advisor on Tom Bennett, who's wrote yeah. a couple couple of books, um, and he was speaking about how you know you need to teach your kids how to behave. It should be part of the curriculum. You need yeah. to show them like what it is you're actually asking them to do. Um, but you know, I've, I think we only had like one seminar. I think at uni on behaviour management. It's crazy yeah. to think. It's crazy to think. Like we just throw teachers in the deep end. I suppose. Yeah. And you talked about culture, Clark. It's actually about, you know, it's actually culture for the staff. It's actually that behaviour culture for the kids. If the kids know what is and isn't acceptable, and you only have that in your own lessons, the kids will know where that line is. And they cross over, it's like, that's a bit, you know, it's a bit bit close. Mm -hmm. But absolutely, you know, you look back, and certainly my degree, we did, you know, maybe six, seven weeks of special needs and very little behaviour stuff. You're just kind of told to get on with it, aren't you? I know, I know. Kind of work so, it out. Missed, missed opportunity, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Right, moving on to the... Can I, is that everything then for the kind of common myths and barriers then as a, as a PE teacher working yeah. with? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think, you know, like, like you said there, it's definitely, you know, we need to train people to manage behaviour better and not just expect it, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, right. Well, lastly then, Ali, in your opinion, we always ask this to well, most, most of our guests. Kind of, it's always good to get your opinion on what you think makes a high quality teacher in, yeah. in the current climate. 
Um, I think one of the main ones is, you know, it's probably once been said before, but incorporate kids' interests. You know, a lot of kids I work with down here, you know, they're maybe moving away from traditional sports, but they're so interested in things like Minecraft and YouTube and Instagram, you know, so we actually talk about things that are really current. You know, so I think as a teacher, you've almost got a bit of a responsibility to, to find out what these kids are into, you know, to find out what their interests are so you can actually chat to them, you know. Mm -hmm. How good is it as a kid? A kid comes in and you mention something that they might have seen or talking about and they actually think, actually, Sir is quite cool because he knows what I'm talking about. You know, you might not know that much about it, but I think as soon as you get that, that's your way in for a lot of kids. Um, I think a lot of the things, you know, high quality teaching is that, that ability to reflect, you know, but being quite impartial about it and not being too hard on yourself when things don't go right. But similarly, when things go well, acknowledge it and celebrate it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the other one, you know, the final bit for me is that, that resilience, you know, it's bouncing forward. It's just keeping going. You know, there'll be good things. There'll be, there'll be good times. There'll be bad times in education and schools. Um, but I think the more that staff can find something positive out of every experience, um, that's going to make them better teachers. Um, it really is. Yeah, so it's almost like that kind of try to create that hookability within your curriculum to make it relevant to like computer games. Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think for certain kids, you know, but for certain yeah. kids, it, it won't be that, you know. But I think if you can almost dress up in a way that you know they understand why they're doing a certain challenge, you'll have groups of kids that all you know always want to do football and never want to do dance or they always want to do you know it's just actually how do we dress up and actually say to the kids well actually somebody like Ronaldo would have great footwork at dancing what do you mean you know it's, it's just trying to make those links mm -hmm. across the curtain for a lot of kids um, you know and, and we sometimes use it with kids that um, work with down here that you know aren't that keen on fitness but if we use like uh, the analogy of Minecraft and we say actually well if he was walking across this part of the world mm -hmm. he's like oh yeah I get it and he actually sort of walks and goes for you know half an hour walk pretending to be a Minecraft character and I'm like that's great he can can be who he wants and what he wants but actually you disguise it a bit but if you dress it up in a way that they understand um that's kind of, kind of where it's going to go to yeah that sounds sounds makes sense to me um we were actually talking about conor mcgregor today and in a lesson we're talking about what makes a great coach and then we go on to kind of cut um someone who's charismatic we end up talking about conor mcgregor which is yeah, yeah. that's up for debate a bit kind of stuff he gets up to as well but but i suppose that was kind of making making kind of real life connections um, yeah, yeah. as well, quite similar to what you're speaking about there. Yeah, exactly. Right, right well, Ali, that brings us on to the, the quick fire round of three questions, and yeah. again, we, we do this with, with, with all of our guests, so just a wee bit of fun at the end of the podcast. So three quick questions and just three kind of off-the-cuff answers with it, all right? Cool. Number one, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? Stand free. For Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't, no, it's, uh, I think it's uh, enjoy what you do. Absolutely enjoy what you do. Yeah, can't, can't argue with that. Number two, which people or books have had the biggest influence on your life? Yeah, I think biggest influence is a book by Michael Johnson. Um, it's called Slaying the Dragon, um, a sports book, but it comes, you know, it, it deals with a lot of the topics we've talked about tonight, about resilience, about setting targets, about bouncing back from, from adversity. Um, and I think probably one of the people that's had the biggest, the biggest impact on me, probably both professionally and as a sports person, was um, somebody you've had in your podcast before, Murray Carney. Um, so he was somebody that you know mentored me at a very young age, both um, through my my higher PE, but also as a young teacher, but also um, one of my coaches who was was probably responsible for a lot of my success, you know, on and off the hockey pitch. Shout, shout out to Murray, what a guy! Absolutely. <laughs> um, number three, then final one. What top three tips would you give to a teacher just now who is aspiring to become a faculty head or attain a promoted post? Yeah, I, th I think the first one's prepare well. You know, know, know what you're getting into, know, you know, data. We, we say down here, data is king. So find as much data as you can about that. The second one would be, um, you know, have a clear vision, you know, know what the role entails, but also know what you will do to change that role. 
um, you know, why, why would they want you and leave them thinking, actually, if we don't take this guy or this girl, we're missing out. Um, and I think also the final bit is seek feedback. You know, so whether you're successful or not, is seek feedback um, and bounce forward from that. Um, I went for a promoted post at a very young age, probably 23, and didn't get it and was told because I didn't have experience. I'm like, I'm 23, I've been teaching for a year. Uh -huh. um, and it was a bit of a cop-out because I said, well, beyond that experience, what else is the feedback? And they had nothing because they had somebody else in the department, shoot the end, she was, you know, eight, nine years older than me. Um, and she did a terrible job, but it was, <laughs> it's, it, that's, that's a difficult one. But yeah, seek, seek feedback. If you're not happy with the feedback, ask them, well, what next, what else? Oh, so were you, working, were you working in the department? Yeah, I was working in the department. Oh. I'd, I'd only been there. I'd, I'd done my NQT year um, and I was second year teaching um, and the job right. came up for sort of a joint, sec joint head of the department. So I just thought I'd throw my hat in the ring, cat amongst mm -hmm. the pigeons and see what happens and, yeah. and prepared well for it. And, you know, usual thing, oh, you've interviewed really well and all that sort of, you know, f false feedback. So I said, well, what's the feedback I'm getting? Why did I not get the job? Um, and it was like, yeah, not enough experience. And it's, it's difficult to get in 18 months, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it, it, was, it was weak feedback. Um, and, and what I've said to staff, and I've interviewed staff down here for promoted posts, um, and we've had some really good candidates, but if they've not prepared well enough, and um, we've actually knocked them back and said, actually, you know, they've got to learn because as a teacher going through the ranks and, you know, it's, it's really aspirational for that, that a lot of PE teachers are now becoming head teachers is you've got to have that resilience and that ability to hold your own in that arena later on rather than just get it because, you know, it, that person was shooting in because they're in the department and mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys, you know, not that you'd say it might have seen that in other schools that you've been in where people get promoted because of length of service or yeah. just because they're there. Um, yeah, politics, eh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> how, how many, just, just kind of on the same topic then, how, how can I, many years into your teaching career then were you before you kind of got a promoted post? Um, so I was four years in. So four mm -hmm. years in, I became head of PE um, at school down here. So I moved down. I'd been down here about a year and a half um, and, and became head of PE with basically the, my remit from the head teacher was to try and change behaviour through sport, which was brilliant, you know. Yeah. Young and enthusiastic PE teacher, 25, 26. Um, was brilliant um, and then from there um, probably three years later uh, became deputy and then two years after that became head teacher. Brilliant. Um, yeah. How did you, like that's, that's like, that takes a, 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 lot of, a lot of courage to go for that, like those kind of, it's a big responsibility isn't it? Yeah I think it is but I think you'd be amazed at how many, you know, how many head teachers in Scotland actually became head teachers pretty young. Um, yeah. you know, one of my pals, uh, Johnny Mitchell, who works in, works in uh, Glasgow, you know, at Christ, and he, he was ahead at probably 33, 34. Wow. Um, one of my mates is ahead up in the, in the Highlands at Granton. Um, he was probably in mid-30s, you know, so these opportunities are there. Um, and I think sometimes it's, you know, sometimes the luck of what school you're in. But, you know, yeah. I think PE teachers, certainly from a team sport background, are, are usually pretty motivated people. You know, you guys wouldn't be on episode 78 if you weren't motivated in what you were doing. Um, and I'm sure that has a knock-on effect to, to how you guys are in school. Um, but I think more and more people now are, you know, are certainly going to try and push on and be aspirational because um, you know, I, I certainly had more plans of being just a PE teacher in the department for, for 45 years and then collect my pension. I think um, education is really changing and more diverse. And I think that you know, the more PE teachers, in my view, we can get into these real strong leadership roles, the stronger schools will be. One day, loser. That's the, that's the goal. Right, Ali, that um, runs, runs us off uh, episode 78 very nicely then with some, some words of wisdom there. So thanks very much for, for giving up your time tonight to come on and chat to the both of us and making another val valuable contribution to the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks a lot, guys. I really enjoyed that. Cheers.
takeaway message number 78. What are your key takeaways from tonight's episode with Ali McGregor? Mr. Burnham. Really enjoyed chatting to Ali tonight. Um, my key takeaway message would be short and, short and sweet. I think it would be on the, the coaching thing, uh, so the kind of peer coaching within your school. Um, so if I came in to watch your gymnastics lesson, um, I'm going to just note down things that you've done well or not done well. Um, I hope you're first aid trained. Hey? I hope you're first aid trained. I know. I, I, was, I was hearing you're in gymnastics lessons a wee bit like parkour. <laughs> a wee bit of everything, what can I say? <laughs> no, it would be like, rather than just noting down things you've done well, strengths and weaknesses, like actually coach them on what you would do and how you would do it better. Mm-hmm. Um, actually show them rather than just kind of, do you know what I mean by that? Rather than just noting yeah. down kind of think things have done well and not done well and not actually coaching them and how to get better. I think it spoke a lot about reflection and just how important that is as well rather than just finishing a lesson and like, that's it done and at the way. Actually reflect on, you know, how it went and things you could do better. So it's just basic stuff like that. Um, but it's, it's important, it's simple points. I wouldn't, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind doing that though. Like I would like doing that in my, in my school. Like you'd probably struggle to get Unless your school's got that sort of culture installed in it, but if you'd you'd maybe struggle to get every single member of staff involved in that. But even if you were, even if you were doing it, or like at least a person from kind of each each department or whatever, I think that would still have a a really positive impact. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they kind of rolled out the cameras in in the schools here because that'd be good too. If you videoed your lesson to see it back. Then just so I could watch it back. I struggle, I struggle enough listening back to myself on this, on this podcast. I don't know how I'd feel about watching a video of me teaching. I don't know how that would go down. Oh, I'd love to watch it. It'd be a strange experience, wouldn't it? But I suppose it would be helpful because um, sometimes you're just so consumed in the moment when you're teaching. It's, it's actually hard to reflect and remember absolutely everything. Or mm-hmm. like actually remember like if someone points something out to you, it's like, what do you mean by that? Or like it'd be easier to see it in a video, but... Um, yeah, there's so many things that can be learned from someone watching your lesson and giving you feedback. But it's like video, it's like video on a performance, isn't it? And then showing the people the the performance back is it's better feedback than you just saying something. Mm-hmm. I mean, right, but, but we don't really do it after probation, yeah. I know. It's almost like that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. You know? Because it should maybe be something that's continuous. Well, maybe we should start it. Get the camera booked. Yeah. So what would your what would your key takeaway message be then? I think just to kind of emphasise on what you said about the, the peer coaching thing, I, I really like the idea of that. It's something that I'd be definitely be keen to get involved in in my school. Something that's dead informal as well, like just as long as you make sure you um, let the teacher know if you're going to um, observe them. Or In fact, it was actually inviting someone in to, to coach you, wasn't it? That's the way mm-hmm. he, he said. So you actually invite a teacher to come in and watch you maybe during one of their free periods or try and get someone to come in and watch you with a class that you're maybe, maybe struggling with or you're wanting to come give you feedback on something maybe you want to try with a class right, it's like, it needs to be a focus for, so they're not just coming in to watch yeah. it needs to be like coming and watching how I give feedback here or question the kids mm-hmm. I know I really I really like that idea so that's, that, that would be mine as well I really I really thought that was a great a great idea to something that's quite easy to install in your school as well or yeah. with a, even with a small working group um, sounds good so well, that's us for another week to roll it out. Aye, I know. That was a, a really good episode. Loved it. Another another valuable contribution to the, the Obo series, number 78. Next week, number 79. I look forward to seeing what that brings us. We just keep it going, don't we? Absolutely. Keep that yeah. ball rolling. Relentless forward motion. The brakes have, the brakes have stopped working. <laughs> On your motor. <laughs> <laughs> and the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> just keeps going. Right, anyway, that's um, enough from us. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, and we'll be back next week with another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast, then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve. That way we can take action and further develop the Obo podcast. Until next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.